This episode of Your Catholic Life is brought to you by Iowa Catholic Radio, connecting listeners with Christ, iowacatholicradio.com, and everywhere you are on the free Iowa Catholic Radio app. Also, my new book is out, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Holiness. Visit holinessbook.com and check it out, holinessbook.com. Welcome in, everyone, to Your Catholic Life, a podcast for Catholics by Catholics, helping you grow in your faith. I'm John Leonetti, your host. St. Thomas Aquinas, need I say more? Perhaps the greatest theologian in the history of the Church. Now, some might argue that, but not my guest today. He converted to Catholicism because of the teachings of St. Thomas and has made it his mission to help others grow and understand Aquinas' rich teachings about our Lord. And he's got another book to help us do just that, Aquinas on the Four Last Things. Here it is, my conversation with Dr. Kevin Vost. Hey, doctor. Good morning, John. Always a pleasure to be with you. Now, listen, man, you, you retired a, a few years ago and you haven't been on the show for a while. What, what have you been doing? Well, I, I, you know, believe it or not, it's been almost five years now that I retired from my full-time work, but, but I have been writing a lot of books, <laughs> so yes, we, we should have plenty to talk about in the future. Well, you've got, uh, I, I know, over 20 books. Is that still where we're at right now? This one, uh, Aquinas on the Four Last Things, is number 21. 21 books. My goodness, It's another story, but um, three more are in the pike right now, I'll say. Why, why Aquinas? Why, why have you really kind of concentrated a heavy amount of work on, on writing about this thing? Well, mainly because it was the stirrings of the Holy Spirit and the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas that cured me of 25 years of atheism. So there, I have a real affinity for Thomas, for the power and the beauty of his work, to speak to people, even people like who I was, who, who kind of discounted faith and said, oh, I'm only going to follow reason. Today, people might say, oh, I'm only going to follow science, you know, the facts. Well, Thomas can speak to people based purely on facts and open their hearts to the reality of God. I mean, he did that to me, so I have a very special affinity for, for all the writings of St. Thomas. Remind our listeners, what drew you to actually open a book on St. Thomas Aquinas when you are an atheist in the first place? Yeah, while I was an atheist, you know, I did respect some of the best ancient philosophy, people like Aristotle and the Stoics, that, that they did uh, believe in natural law, which, which the Church also embraces. So through studying them, I, I came across a, a course on natural law that was taught by a Catholic priest. It was a recorded course. And through the recommended reading, it led me to read St. Thomas Aquinas for the first time in my early 40s, though I was raised Catholic, you know, I just never read him. And then it just astounded me because the arguments I read from the atheists that pulled me from the Church, I found that Thomas answered them magnificently, you know, over 700 years ago, and I just didn't know it. What was the best argument? Well, uh, one of the arguments, one of the most uh, important arguments was the idea that that God was uh, self-contradictory. You know, people would say, well, how can God be all-powerful and all-knowing? If he knows what he's going to do tomorrow, then he doesn't have any power to do anything different, right? I thought, well, that's a hard one to, to answer. Well, then Thomas writes about the eternity of God, how you and I have a yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but God is completely actualized eternally at all times. So past, present, future, it's all there for him eternally. So he doesn't have any tomorrow. It's all present to him. And then Thomas gives an analogy. 
let's say we're walking to some town across, uh, over a hilly road. We're not going to see the town maybe till we reach the last hill. We don't know who's there before us, who came after us. But a person from a perspective high in the sky, they see that final town at the end, and they see everyone along the way the whole time. So he says, this is just a simple example uh, to help us understand God's eternity. So, but for me, it was an intellectual thing. All those years, I, I wished I could believe in God, but I did not think in good conscience that I could. So it was an intellectual thing. And I always told people, I was raised in the Catholic Church, so I knew there was so much good there, but I, I never attacked it. You know, I never tried to dissuade people from it. I just thought, I can't honestly believe it, until I read what had been in our Catholic tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years that answered all those questions, you know, and thanks be to God, I was able to uh, embrace it. You know, would that so many modern atheists did truly take the time to read people like St. Thomas Aquinas, they might see how, how vacuous and how empty some of these arguments of the new atheists, or actually all of them, how, how vacuous they are. You have written a lot about Thomas, um, and what I like about how you write, uh, Doctor, is you write in a way that John Linetti can understand. Um, you know, it, it took a while for me. It wasn't really until uh, my master's in moral theology that forced me to sit down and really read the, the actual writings of St. Thomas Aquinas and to reread them and write papers on them, and that was a struggle for me. It was a big stretch because I was used to reading commentators, and that's why, like you, you're kind of that bridge, uh, especially for Aquinas with with a lot of your books, and you've just you've done it again with another one, Aquinas on the four last things. Uh, for those that don't know what the four last things are, what are they? Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. There we go. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So, how does Saint Thomas? We'll, we'll just go with question number one here right away. Compare the state of our souls after death, and he does so to a hot air balloon. Yeah, this is one of the things I love about Thomas, where he's taking that abstract material and making it concrete. Well, you know, first he's laying the background. Where is the idea of heaven and hell and purgatory? Where are they in Scripture? What has the Church taught about them? And then he kind of concludes with, let's put this in real simple language. And here I'm going to read a bit. Objects lighter than air, like a hot air balloon, will immediately rise, while heavier bodies will immediately fall unless some obstacle impedes their path. Well, we know that. He said that a soul that is free from all debt of sin, no mortal, no venial, will rise immediately to heaven, and a soul mired in mortal sin will descend into hell. But he said an obstacle that can prevent a soul free of mortal sin from rising to heaven immediately is the debt of venial sin. And he says, quote, for which the soul's flight must be delayed until the soul is first of all cleansed. So I like to think of those movies where people in a hot air balloon, you know, is starting to lose air, so they start throwing stuff off of the sides, you know, to lighten them, to rise. Sure. So in a sense, he's saying the debt for these venial sins that we've uh, committed, those are like that excess baggage that we have to get rid of. And God has prevented, prevented I'm sorry, presented that mechanism by, by purgatory. That's where we're totally cleansed. Our balloon is set free. So everyone who does make it to purgatory will someday rise to heaven. Where did he draw uh, his, his understanding of purgatory from? Well, you know, he's, he's drawing it from, from several biblical verses, you know, first and foremost. The, the, the book of Maccabees, other books of the New Testament talk about this. St. Paul talks about a place where uh, the, the stubble and hay, you know, will be burned away from our soul. So it has a lot of a scriptural basis there. Uh, Revelation, you know, that tells us that no unclean thing shall enter heaven. So he has all kinds of background argument, you know, from Scripture and from the Church Fathers that shows just how purgatory makes so so much sense and how it really befits God's justice, you know, that nothing clean will enter heaven, but even if we die with some, some minor 
stains on our souls. He's given us a way to reach there, to, to, to get there ultimately through the great gift of purgatory. When we do make it to heaven, he had something to say of what the glorified body, what qualities the glorified body were actually going to have. What, what were they? Yes, and again, uh, Thomas starts with St. Paul. 1 Corinthians 15th chapter, verses 42 to 44, if anyone you know, wants to look up. It all kind of builds from, from there. The first part just says, you know, the body, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. And that gives the world to this, what's called impassibility. Our glorified bodies, when our souls are reunited after the second coming, will be unable to suffer. Our bodies will not decompose or deteriorate, and we'll have the triumph of the soul over the body. In other words, like if you think now, sometimes it's hard to get our, to make ourselves do what we want, you know, like we, we want to resist that jelly donut in our, in our mind and our will, but our passions, our body says, no, give me that donut. When we're impassable, the, the soul controls. We no longer have those conflicts. Another is subtle, subtlety, the power to, to penetrate, to move through objects. A third is agility or ease and promptness of, of movement. Like wherever we desire to go, we'll be able to move at lightning speed. Our bodies will you know, totally control uh, our commands like, like a pro athlete does you know, for his specialty sport. And a fourth is clarity. It's like a glowing beauty and brilliance. Thomas says that our bodies will glow, and there's actually a scientific phenomenon of bioluminescence, you know, like, like certain animals that can generate their own light, like ones that live at the bottom of the sea. And scientists have actually said that all living humans, all living creatures, even humans, we actually do produce some light even now through chemical reactions in our body. But Thomas says that our glorified bodies, it will be there for all to see. It will be a glorious, beautiful glow. That's beautiful. I, I have never heard that before. Glorious, beautiful glow. Um, will we be able to talk to each other like uh, like we are right now? What does Thomas say on that? Yes, he says we'll have all all of our faculties and capacities. When, when you know when we die, our souls are separated from our bodies. But when our souls are reunited to our bodies, we will possess all of our powers. We'll have our senses, but they will be all perfected. He said so. So we will be able to see far better than we ever did. It's, uh, yet what we see will be even more beautiful because the universe itself will be perfected. Yeah, we'll be there amongst the communion of the saints. We'll be able to talk to each other as we are here, did on earth. We'll also be able to talk to each other, whoever lived throughout, throughout history. So it's a beautiful thing to think about. You're telling me my left eye is going to have perfect vision now? Uh, yes, better than even your right eye if it's pretty good right now. <laughs> uh, okay, beatific vision of God. What does uh, what does Saint Thomas Aquinas have to say on that? First and foremost, what is the beatific vision? Well, you know, according to Thomas, in you know the church teaching, this is our final reward. There, we're actually able to see God in His essence, and that's going to fulfill every desire. You know, Augustine said, "We're restless until our hearts rest in You." And here's one way Thomas explains it. Everything that we love here on earth, everything's beautiful. Oh, look at that mountain range. Look at the stars in heaven. Oh, look at that cute little puppy or that little baby. He said all those things in some small way mirror the goodness and beauty of God himself. But in God himself, it's all there. Every one of those perfections is there in a simple way. So when we look at God in heaven, we are experiencing all the beauty we could possibly imagine on earth. Plus, Thomas says, when we see God in heaven, when we look at anything in heaven, it will more perfectly reflect God. So we'll see those beautiful things, you know, even more beautiful than we ever experienced them on earth. So just been an awesome thing to think about. Now, have you taken him on as kind of a personal patron? Uh, yes, I have. Thomas has had such a special meaning in my life that, that I have. He is absolutely one of my favorite saints. But as he himself recommends, we should pray to and love a great variety of saints to honor as many as we can. 
Yes, he does. Friends, you can find the book at sophiainstitute.com. Uh, I have found Dr. Kevin here to just have a lot, uh, you know, <laughs> just opening up the fire hose when it comes to St. Thomas Aquinas and, and really teaching. You got a teacher's heart, doctor, and you do a great job with that. Friends, pick up this book and many of his others, Aquinas on the Four Last Things, sophiainstitute.com. Thanks for coming on, doctor. Appreciate you. Oh, thank you, John. God bless. So there you have it, friends. I could listen to Dr. Vo's conversion story forever. It's one that is very heartfelt and one that gives witness to the intellectual and theological giant that St. Thomas Aquinas really was. Big thanks to Dr. Vost, my guest today. Friends, make sure to share this and other episodes of Your Catholic Life on Facebook and Twitter, reminding your friends to take part in the show. Visit yourcatholiclifepodcast.com as well. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm John Leonetti, signing off here on Your Catholic Life. Remember, the only way to happiness is by holiness. Be confident in Christ's mercy and his love today.